Inside the Cylinder, your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast. We are on uh, DetroitBadBoys.com. You can find new episodes on lineups.com slash podcasts. I'm David Fernandez. I write over at Detroit Bad Boys. Um, need to write a little bit more, so that will happen here soon. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Joey Mack. Hey, how's it going? It's not going well, Joe. If that was to me, I'm just going to answer it, because I'm not feeling as uh, positive as I was last episode. Um, how about yourself? How are you doing? Well, it's like 10 degrees in Chicago. The Pistons are 4-8. <laughs> and eight. I think the Lions are like mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, so... All things considered, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. It's it is cold here in Detroit too, like frigidly, just freezing, just way way too cold, way too much snow for November. But it's almost fitting. It's like the Pistons stink, and <laughs> so God is just like your, your sports <laughs> mood. Exactly. It's like you know what. When it rains, it pours, um, and right now it's snowing. Um, Joe, you want to kind of kick us off and you know set the the landscape of where we are right now with this season? Yeah, just a quick Pistons recap. Uh, currently sitting at four and eight. Just to go over the last couple games since we last recorded, uh, beat the Knicks, lost to the Pacers, and lost to the Timberwolves. Uh, we're down by double digits throughout the game against them. It was Blake's first game back um, this season and um, dropped that one at home and then traveled down to Miami, apparently landed at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. in the morning for that night game and uh, just did not have enough energy to come up with the win. So one in three since we last recorded and... Um, yeah, I mean, David, hit him with some Pistons news. Yeah, I mean, we're also right now sitting at <clears throat> 12th in the Eastern Conference behind heavy hitters like the Chicago Bulls, Atlanta Hawks, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Charlotte Hornets. Um, I guess the only positive thing about that is some of those teams you don't expect their winning ways to continue. And honestly, those teams aren't even winning. They're all below 500. So I guess that's about as positive as this episode's going to get. Um, so Pistons news <laughs> setting the tone. Well, at least Blake Griffin's back. Blake Griffin is back. That's that's the the biggest piece of news, I guess. Um, well, definitely. Uh, he came back, looked great. He was definitely on a minutes restriction in that game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, put up 19 points in 24 minutes. Uh, chipped in seven boards, six assists. He did have like four turnovers, but you know, it's to be expected, still getting his sea legs proper. Um, but all in all, Blake looked good, and I guess even better than his production is that he physically looked good. Like on the court, his movement looked good, his leg looked like it could bend, which is a positive. Um, so, all in all, I mean, that's definitely a, a big plus. Uh, Derek Rose also had been out with injury, um, he was out. Even last episode, when we recorded last week, he didn't look so great in his return. Um, 3 of 13 from the floor. Uh, Both of them missed the second night of the back-to-back. So it will be interesting to see how Detroit monitors their playing time and their games. Especially, you know, right now, Detroit's 
not like at panic button mode, but they're also need to start winning some games here soon. Uh, following the Minnesota Timberwolves game, both Derrick Rose and Blake had some interesting comments. Uh, I'm just going to repeat them. Um, so Derrick Rose was interviewed. He said, I don't remember what the setup question was, but his response was, just ask the question, do we want to win? Do we want to come out and play hard or do we want to get spanked like this every night? We need everybody to be on the same page and working to move as a collective group. We've got to figure this out. Uh, Blake kind of mirrored that sentiment. Um, He said, we have to use this time as well as we possibly can and figure stuff out. But I'm not discouraged by anything other than our lack of effort. So both of them definitely mirrored the sentiment that Detroit did not come out with a winning effort in order to um, complete the comeback against the Minnesota Timberwolves where they found themselves regularly down by roughly like 15, 16 points and almost came back and stole that game, but they didn't have enough left in the tank. Joe, what were your thoughts when you saw those comments, you know, kind of, I don't know, just out there in the ethos following that game? Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like not necessarily lack of effort, but just disappointing body language has been a bit of a narrative um, in the modern era of, of the Pistons with Andre and Reggie and, um, you know, them just showcasing leadership in that manner. So it's something we're generally familiar with as a fan base. It doesn't mean that they don't care, but I, I, I do think that some things can be taken away from that. So I'm not sure if this is specifically calling out guys or just a holistic approach to their team and holding guys accountable and lack of physicality and just communicating and showing that they care. I think that there is something to be said about them getting on the same page. And there have been various issues that have, you know, led to the I guess chaos um, in general right now. A lot of that has to do with injuries, but at the same time, in order to um, you know uh, get to a fluid position um, as a ball team, you, you do need to be on the same page and talk and play aggressive and lead by example. So um, you know, I would assume they're not talking like they're not talking about like Luke Kennard. I don't think they're talking about Bruce Brown or, or Tony Snell or, or Markeith Morris. I mean, all those guys seem to play hard but I think that it has more to do with accountability and um, just communication overall and and just carrying yourself as a professional and um, uh, you know I I, I think that you know D Rose is former MVP Blake Griffin is the former number one overall pick and I think like a six-time all-star so they have high expectations and um, I just am looking forward to the time of the season hopefully soon when they are fully back in the lineup and can showcase you know what it means to be a professional day in and day out because I think it's frustrating for them to sit on the bench and be limited by minutes or like load management or whatever and not be able to be a part of the team and uh, you know put guys on their back and and show them you know the ropes of 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 how to to you know grind daily. Yeah, and, and how to string some wins together. Unfortunately for Detroit, following that game against the Timberwolves, um, 
there was a snowstorm in Detroit, so the Pistons, I think it was that night, um, either way, uh, Detroit wasn't able to get to um, Miami until 5 a.m. the morning of their game, so it wasn't really a great <laughs> opportunity to showcase the type of grind and the type of, I don't know, uh, effort, I guess you can say, because uh, Detroit clearly looked like they were tired. Um, they were shorthanded yet again. And um, I mean, they did a good job of even making that game semi-competitive because they were getting smashed against the Heat. So it was definitely, uh, you know, not the best stage for them to maybe come together and rally and, you know, string together a gritty W because, I mean, all, all things considered, the schedule, the flight pattern, the availability of their players, nothing really was in their favor for them to steal that one, and um, they didn't. So, you know, now they find themselves, as you already said, Joe, at, at 4-8. and eight. They have a very winnable game coming up against the Charlotte Hornets, uh, but uh, we're, not gonna hear, we're not here to talk too much about the upcoming schedule. We're actually going to be um, answering some of your questions that were submitted. So thank you to all of those who have uh, sent us some cues, some of your Pistons questions. And a lot of these questions don't necessarily have much to do about in-game adjustments or, um, I don't know, player analysis, I guess you can say. that They, they kind of almost mirror more of like a longer-term strategy for, for this team as we move forward. Um, Joe, should we get into the mailbag question? And do you want to take this first one? Um, and then I'll just roll off with the second one. Yeah. Um, so question number one here from Koenig Hoops. Um, I think so. Cool. Question is in regards to us um, fouling to get Blake Griffin out of the game against the Timberwolves. I want to say it was the late third, but maybe it was the early fourth uh, when the T-Wolves had the ball um, on our side of the half court and we were attempting to mount a comeback. The question is, um, any intel on why there was a mad rush to foul to get Blake out of the game last night, um, only to insert him back into the lineup a handful of minutes later? Blake seems ticked off. If they're that hell-bent on his minutes, shouldn't they play him less earlier to save him for later in games? And I think this brings up a, a really good point. Um, Blake's going to start, and we're monitoring his minutes but you also want him to finish the game. So how exactly are we going to go about game planning his time on the floor in order to make sure that he finishes games, but also utilize him earlier on and the best means by the best means necessary in order to stay in the game and hopefully um, develop a, a lead. And I, I think it's a really good question. And I uh, was also curious you know, it was just an interesting move to foul in that position. Um, Blake didn't seem to like it just to take him out of the game. I know he's on a minutes restriction, but he can play a couple more, um, you know, when he's in the flow of things. And then my understanding, or at least from my point of view, um, I thought that he was going to sit the rest of the game, that we weren't going to bring him back in at the end of the fourth quarter, but that he lobbied the coaches to get him back into the game because it was close enough to – come back and pull off the win so I just think that there needs to be 
uh, better communication between him and the coaches and the training staff. And he said multiple times that they're professionals at what they do. And I, um, you know, I'm willing to put my destiny in their hands and listen to their advice. But at the same time, you don't want to compromise what Blake Griffin, um, you know, thinks is best for him and best for the team. So I think that they needed to um, just come up with a better structure of managing his his minutes. And, uh, you know, when you're following to get a guy out of the game like that, it's just awkward for the, the flow of the game and, uh, you know, the Pistons when they're trying to mount a comeback like that. Yeah, and um, I, one thing that – so we don't have any intel into this. Honestly, some of the guys that are closest to this team – the beat writers, Rob Beard, Vince Ellis, um, James Edwards, they all have um, been pretty transparent that they don't either. Like They don't necessarily know what, what the coaching staff's strategy is for monitoring Blake's minutes and you know what, what the schedule is going to look like for him. Is he going to be sitting out of all back-to-backs, you know, looking forward into the season? Um, so I'm not necessarily sure... And I'm not necessarily sure that they know right now either. You know, I was trying to think back to Dwayne Casey's tenure in Chicago, sorry, in Toronto, and I don't remember any of his players, any of those guys. You know, especially their their main guys, Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry, being in these types of circumstances where they were really heavily monitoring minutes and monitoring how many games those guys were playing. So I think there's definitely a learning curve for for the staff. Um, and Joe, I completely agree that, that there does need to be at least some better communication because you don't want to see a, a flustered Blake Griffin out there. Um, but one thing that's also important with this team is some sort of continuity. And I think that is really a balancing act right now because, yes, you, you want to monitor his health. You want to make sure that he's going to be good for the, the end of the stretch or a possible playoff push. Um, but at the same time, there's just hasn't been a flow with these five-man rotations with guys getting to know who's going to be on the court at any given time there's really been you know no flow in any game you know game by game situation so figuring that out is going to be extremely important for this team to to have any type of rhythm any type of flow and and, and be able to 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 put some wins together cuz right now it just seems like there's a new five-man rotation out there every single time, and especially with Blake getting back. So I don't necessarily know how they're going to, to you know, address the situation moving forward. You just hope that they can come to some sort of game plan, some sort of strategy to where these guys know or can have some reasonable expectation of who's going to be available and when. So yeah, that's what that's what I got. Yeah, and he he seems a bit frustrated after the game with not having a clear understanding of how many minutes he was going to play and when he was going to play um, because that's the only way to get into your flow and, and, and get back into NBA conditioning and fully immerse yourself into the game is, is understanding those things. And D Rose is in the same position. Um, you mentioned that he struggled in his first game back and, you know, part of that has to do with the fact that he's playing you know, with Blake and they're trying to figure out that chemistry and they're going to need more minutes in order to get to a place where there's as effective as, as possible on the floor. So hopefully that was just one game of, of, of rust from the player standpoint and the coaching standpoint. And um, then we can make adjustments and everything smooths itself out. 
Yeah, and I mean, and you mentioned it, you know, Derrick Rose started that game. That was his first game starting with Detroit. Um, that was a new five-man lineup. Obviously, anything with Blake Griffin at that point was, but um, even more just a testament to, to this team not necessarily knowing what their blueprint's going to be moving forward. Um, so second question from uh, Caleb Heinlein, um, at Caleb Heinlein. Uh, assuming our point guard depth continues to be in question all year, would you like to see Kennard with more point guard responsibility, or is he better suited in a role where he can just focus on scoring and not worry about getting other guys involved, kind of like Booker, um, Devin Booker? Um, in my opinion, and uh, unfortunately, we're in this sort of weird phase. I know we're only 12 games into the season, um, but you, you almost have to really take a long view at this Detroit Pistons team. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what this, this whole kind of episode comes down to. Like, do you take the long view? Do you take the short view? Short view is trying to win as many games right now and, and make the playoffs. Long view is development, is, um, you know, making sure your cap situation's correct. Um, just a lot of other factors that you really hope Detroit wasn't going to be having to think too much about that this early in the season. You really hope that they were just in win-now mode, and they are. So I'm, I'm just going to go with what I feel like would be best, and, and that is, uh, you know, I think Kennard should be focused more on scoring, more on, um, you know, being his true position, which is shooting guard, um, not trying to manage the offense, bring the ball up the floor, you know, I think you find Luke at his best when you're running plays for him off ball, and then in te- you know, and once you're in the half court, if you can find some situations with him and pick and roll opportunities, or um, you know, when he gets deep into the paint and can find other guys a cutter or a guy uh, you know beyond the three point line, great. But in general, when it comes to him being the sort of floor general, I don't think that that utilizes Kennard in his best skill set. And, you know, I am more so taking the long-term view of Kennard, and and I would rather just keep developing him, keep putting him in a position to succeed, because he's been on a tear this season, um, been one of the lone bright spots. And and I think that you just got to keep building him up, building him up, building him up. Um, because he right now is for sure the what seems like at least like the guaranteed guy that's going to be on this roster um, for the for the future for the long term future. So that's my, my you know two cents on the Canard situation. Yeah, at the end of the day, for me, with our current roster health. Um, Luke Kennard is going to have the ball in his hands for the most part, unless we're running um, a Blake-specific offense. Um, So whether or not he's bringing up the floor or he's running the pick and roll, um, you know, somewhere else on the floor, I I think that he's going to be one of our main ball handlers either way. Um, There are some positives and some negatives to, to Luke playing the point guard position um a couple positives to me is it does provide us with more like flexible better shooting lineups we have had some lineups on the floor where langston and Kennard are both on the court at the same time as the two and the three which means that tim frazier or bruce brown is playing the one um it's just a really small lineup 
and Luke playing the point does give us a little bit of size and can provide us with more overall shooting. Um, like a, a Kennard at the one, Langston at the two, V at the three, or Snell at the three is a really good offensive shooting um, lineup. Um, so I think in certain scenarios that does uh, make sense. And from a size standpoint, it, 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 it can work. Um, and, and then you mentioned it too. Like I, I do think he can do some Andre Drummond pick and rolls at the top of the key, sort of Reggie-esque from a couple of years ago in the Stan Van Gundy era. I don't know if we would run any sets uh, closely similar to that, but he's so dynamic in that pick and roll that if you can run that from the, the top of the key, I see no reason why that can't stretch out the floor and um, you know help him get his shot or, or find open shooters. So I, I do see a potential scenario in which he could play um, the, the the point guard position in, in order to provide us with more offensive firepower if we're down six or eight, you know, with six or seven minutes left in the game. And we just want to see if we can make that final push. Um, a couple, I mean, you mentioned like the negatives, like it, it, it would potentially limit his development. Although I think he's such a smart, gifted basketball player that Luke's pro, you know, he's going to develop really either way. Um, but it doesn't really play to his strengths. Um, he's, he's more, you know, you want him running off ball, getting in, getting the ball in like, I don't know, on the perimeter and just making the defense account for him in, in space, the floor in that manner, um, as opposed to sitting with the ball. And then who are the guys that are cutting around? Um, it, it just, I think that limits our floor spacing. And um, I'm not sure how the defensive matchup would look. Like, can Luke guard other teams' point guards? Is he quick enough? Um, so that's another thing that would concern me as well. Um, so I guess more of the story is I think it would work in certain situations, but I think it would be like a really short-term Band-Aid uh, in very specific situations in order to uh, try to make a run. But I, I just definitely don't think that it is the solution moving forward throughout this season. And also one thing just about uh, with Luke with the ball in his hands, if he is going to be the guy that, that consistently is bringing the ball up the floor, he's going to be guarded, you know, every single time. There's going to be a man in front of him. There's not going to be an opportunity for him to get lost in staggered screens or in curl routes you know there's not going to be opportunities to truly free him up and, and open him up as a shooter because you can see him even when he is playing in the pick and roll guys are trying to stick to him like glue they're not giving him the space that he wants he's having to do a little bit more you know almost James Harden like types of moves to find his shot to find a little bit of an opening and um, you know and if you can get Kennard more in, in a free-flowing offense off ball um, that's going to be the opportunity where you find Luke open, wide open, and, and or at least even a sliver more open than he is if there's a guy stuck to him guarding him as the point guard. So that's, that's just that's another... Good, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, if Jimmy Butler's guarding you and he's guarding you 90 feet and you're having to bring the ball to floor, like that's going to drain a lot of your energy um, and affect the offense as opposed to winning or I'm sorry, running baseline to baseline through two or three screens without um, the ball in your hands. So, I mean, I think from an energy standpoint, it makes sense as well because he is getting the other team's best perimeter defender and 
there's a lot of really good def- the perimeter defenders in in the NBA, and L- Luke is still learning how to manage those matchups. So I think he's better suited off the ball um, in that sense. Uh, cool. Next question from Fluffy Sock Ninja. OG of the ITC pod. Yeah, Respect. I haven't heard from him in a while. Glad we're doing this mailbag. Um, all right, David. Reggie's injury, once again, seems to be the Achilles heel for Detroit. Derrick Rose is better coming off the bench, and Bruce Brown and Tim Frazier aren't quite cutting it. Should they bite the bullet and make a trade for a starting-level replacement for Reggie since he's expiring anyway this season? Also, Caleb had a similar question, so we're just going to package these two into one singular question. Um, Joe, do you want to take that? Uh, Sure. Actually, I can take it. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the question essentially is, you know, is it time to start looking at your trade pieces and bringing in a point guard? Because as we all know, um, who knows what's going to happen with Reggie? Who knows what this injury, how long this is going to take and what he's going to look like when he gets back? Um, Fluffy made a a great uh, uh, point that, you know, Tim Frazier truly has been Hard to watch at times. Uh, can't Bruce shoot. Brown, what's that? He can't shoot. Yeah, I think I texted you. I was like, my stroke is legitimately more fluid than his stroke. Like, I'm not saying I'd win in a three point contest, but I swear to God, it looks better. It's not pretty. Um, and Bruce is hot and cold. You know, we had last episode we talked about some of the positives as him as point guard, but. You know, 82 games or, you know, 70 games left in this season. Um, Can you really rely on that? Probably not. So uh, Detroit's really having to make do with um, just these strange types of situations that that you wouldn't want to see. So right now, Detroit's main expiring deals, depending on how you feel Marquise Morris is going to do with his player option, um, are Langston Galloway, Reggie Jackson, and Thon Maker. Um, the positions of most weakness are clearly the point guard, and um, I'm going to go with the backup center just because Thon has been hard to watch. Christian Wood has been tough at, at times to watch as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to kind of point out just a couple point guards that first came to mind when I was thinking about who could we trade, who could the Pistons trade for. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought of Jeff Teague. But he's on an expiring contract, and he can play right now, so that's not an option. Goran Dragic playing for Teague. He's think I'm on Timberwolves still. Word. Um, he is. Uh, Goran Dragic also expiring. Um, DJ Augustine. He's expiring. I even threw out Isaiah Thomas. He's expiring. Um, I looked at Monte Morris over in Denver. Uh, they wouldn't do that because he's making like $2 and the money doesn't work. So what are the guys that you can get? I combed through pretty much every single roster. So I'm going to go one by one, Joe, and just see what you think about these. Joe has not heard these point guard options. Okay. So here are some guys that you could possibly get. You could maybe get Corey Joseph out of Sacramento. He's making $12 million this year and $12 million guaranteed next year. Um, Sacramento has come out really slow out of the gates and, um, that's a possible option 
for a starting point guard, makeshift type of point guard situation. What are your feelings on Corey Joseph? $12 million this year, $12 million next year. Uh, I don't love that. Okay. See, the thing is, it's like you're signing up for more money. Like All of these guys... If you're shipping, if you're sending out an expiring contract, you're picking up more money down the road. That's how it works. Yeah, it's just for the too much money for Corey Joseph for me. And uh, Joe, I agree. Um, one thing I, I've always liked Corey Joseph. One thing with him is, um, well, that's you know you're going to be paying him twelve million dollars next year. Uh, he does address the situation. He he has started games at point guard in the league. Um, he would really open up that spot for Derrick Rose to truly come off the bench. You're not having to rely on Tim Frazier. You can you don't have to play Bruce Brown as point guard. Um, so he's honestly the most attractive option of this entire list for me. Um, here's another one, Joe. Frank Nilikina, who Detroit was uh, rumored attached to uh, earlier this season out of New York City. He's due roughly $6 million dollars this year and next year thoughts on frankie smokes joe uh i i like the potential with neil akina and he played well he played okay against he played pretty good against the pistons um when we played the knicks he seems to have a little bit of a mid-range shot not a an extremely refined game he's still clearly trying to figure it all out. I really like his potential. I think that would, to me, that'd be more of like a buy low, invest long-term transaction than like a throw your stock into this year, next year um, move. But if we could get him for a decent deal, I think at the very least he provides you pretty solid defense. At least that's what I've heard. And, um, you know, uh, relatively flashy at times uh, offense with potential. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that move by any means. The- I, I would not be a fan of that, mainly because the the money that would make the most sense would be Langston Galloway, who's been really valuable to this team so far this season. So I think you'd actually come out at a loss. Frankie Smokes is shooting 37% from the floor. 30? Roughly 30, 36% from three. 50% from the line. Um, I just don't think he helps this team out at all, and I think it. I, don't, I fear that it'd be like a Thon Maker situation 2.0. Um, so I pass on that situation. Here's another one, Joe. Um, Dennis Schroeder out of Oklahoma City. He is due 15.5 mil this year and 15.5 mil next year. You could probably trade Reggie Jackson. I'm pretty sure that the money would work in a straight up trade there. Um, Back to OKC. Back to OKC, you know, it's, it's all about reunions in OKC right now anyways. You got Chris Paul there, that's where he started his career, um, kind of. And uh, and you got Reggie Jackson back there. But they're, you know, a team that's outside of the playoffs right now. They don't really have too high of expectations. But you're signing up for Dennis Schroeder, never been a great three-point shooter, been okay at times, and dribbles the air out of the ball. Kind of, you know, I mean, he's been compared to Reggie Jackson a lot in his career. And he's making, you know, you're definitely eating into your cap space next year at 15.5 mil. What are your thoughts on Schroeder out of OKC coming back, coming to Detroit? From a purely basketball standpoint, would make sense because you'd 
be able to make that trade and then insert him into the lineup off the bat, whereas Reggie is just a massive question mark right now. So that would be, in a sense, highway robbery if you could do that like at this minute. And the value of playing 70 games uh, is much higher than the value of playing 40 games, even if you're not playing at the same level. Um, so I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't hate that trade. My problem with Dennis Schroeder is just his, I mean, not his attitude, but I think he's gotten a little bit of a bad rap from locker rooms and um, franchises, just his, his, his attitude. But I, I think with the overall leadership that we have between Blake and, and D Rose and Markeith, I think he would, um, you know, sort of be forced to fit into the locker room culture and be a very welcome addition on the floor. Yeah, I, you know, the, the thing that worries about me about him the most is that, honestly, that 15.5 mil next year, like that's a lot of money for Dennis Schroeder, who's kind of like a replacement level point guard. He's a guy that can like go off. Um, he had some pretty good games in Oklahoma City last year. Um, I think he was averaging something around 17, 18 points per game there. But um, for me, it's just not, I don't think it moves the needle enough to sign up for that cap space. Um, you know, it, it could be the thing is, these are the, the types of questions. It's like, that would be a move to save this season. And is that too much of a stretch? Is that too much guaranteed money next year to, to, you know, to not guarantee yourself a playoff position, you know, a, a, you know, a spot in the playoffs. Right. So that's my, my biggest question and why I'd be out on Dennis Schroeder, just because I have I don't really love him as a player, but I, he's definitely better than a non-existent Reggie Jackson, um, and you would have a shot at you know way better. You would definitely better your chances at making the playoffs this year because you, as you said, Joe, you'd get, be getting seventy games out of him instead of the mystery bag that is Reggie Jackson. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just a tough tough question, and that's why this is a, it's a good question because these are you know hard decisions. But I would be out on that as well. Um, so you're the, out on all of those? No, I'm in on Corey Joseph. Ah, Corey Joseph is. I mean, I've always been maybe overly optimistic about, or I've always liked Corey Joseph's game a little bit more. But I think he just stabilizes things in that that starting unit. He's a good on-ball defender um you know i i just think that he's just the most steady guy he's making three and a half million dollars less than dennis Schroeder. he's still making quite a bit but if i had to to pick one of these situations um you know i would go with Corey joseph lastly joe dennis smith jr six million dollars this season and next season roughly but he is injured right now so kind of a question mark there that's that's hard. I mean, I like his potential just like I like Frank's. Um, he's in a sh- he's a place for a shit show of a franchise in New York, so it's hard to fully come up with uh, an opinion on on his game. Um, I-, I think that he still has a really high ceiling, and uh, I just don't think that's a really win-now move. That's more of a let's build for the future with yeah. him next to Luke. Agreed, and that, that's kind of what Frank is as well. So, um, all right, Joe, uh, I do want to just get a couple centers out there and just get your thoughts on these guys. Um, Dwayne Dedman out of Sacramento, thirteen million this year, thirteen million next year. 
Detroit does need, you know, a center. Uh, yeah, no? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cody Zeller, $15 million this year and next year. No. And lastly, I don't even know why I put this on there. <laughs> Larry Nance Jr., $44 million over the next four years. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I don't really see it. That's the thing, man. It's a tough question. And, um, I mean, I think all in all... I'd rather just ride it out, and I, I would definitely play around with that situation with Corey Joseph, but all in all, I think he's, I, I'd rather just ride it out and just see what happens rather than leverage the future. Yeah, backup contracts are really strange, too, because it seems like it's either a guy, well, I guess specifically with the center position, not as much point guard, but it's either a guy who's just trying to make a team and stay in the league, or it's a guy who's getting well overpaid for past production. Like, uh, um, well, Cody Zeller's good, but um, I'm sorry. Who was the first guy that, that you read Corey off? Corey Joseph. Oh, um, Dwayne Dedman. Yeah, yeah he's, he's solid, but that's a lot of money to be paying him. Or like Bismarck Biombo, or like It's just like it's either are you going to pay him $2 million a year or like $15 million a year. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably right, Let's pick up the pace on, on these these next ones, even though this, other, this, last, this one question is kind of a, a doozy. Um, Joe, you want to give this one a read? Sure. Um, from Denzel Fuller, eleven. Would you do a trade with Golden State centered around Andre Drummond and D'Angelo Russell? And I guess a little bit of context on this, but there have been rumors, speculation leg- across the yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah, I was going to say nothing legitimate, just people discussing players whose names are in the rumor mill um, to make a trade for Andre Drummond for D'Angelo Russell. Um, and he goes on to say, uh, I think the D'Lo question... No, no, that, that's those are my notes. Sorry, Joe. Oh. Well, let's hear it then. Well, I think the D'Lo question opens up a good dialogue. <laughs> you know, not so much like player for player, but point guard for center. Like, what do you value more? What is more valuable in the NBA? Um, you know, how much can you win with the center being essentially your most consistent slash best player? Obviously, Blake is the better player, but he's not as available as an Andre Drummond. Um, I think another question that, that popped to mind was, would a pairing of D'Angelo Russell and Blake lead to more wins, especially knowing what the center situation is in Detroit right now? Um, you'd then be starting Christian Wood or Don Maker, I guess. Um so I, I guess, you know, it's really a philosophical question about what you value most. Um, you know, Joe, what would you do? I mean, do you, do you think that the that pairing of Blake Griffin, I mean, you would have D'Angelo Russell under contract, um, under a max contract, but you'd have him locked up. Uh, you know, you don't. who knows what Andre Drummond's going to be doing this offseason. Um, and then you have, you know, cap space opening up. And you could pair him with Blake Griffin. What yeah, are your I, was, I was originally against it just because I've watched like enough D'Angelo Russell games where he's disappeared. Um, and, and I truly believe that if you're going to pay a guy a max contract, he at the very least has to be consistent or relatively consistent. You have to know what you're going to be getting from him night in and night out it's not scoring 25 and then scoring 12 and then scoring 22 and then scoring 10 or whatever it may be if, if scoring is your thing i guess um and 
this same question mark hovers around Andre, I guess, if you're going to pay him the max, can he remain consistent? Um, but then, I mean, I looked into it a little bit further and he's only 23 right now. He's averaging 26 a game, six and a half assists on 45% shooting from two, 39% shooting from three for a, an incredibly depleted Warriors team, probably number one in the league in terms of injuries affecting them in Detroit is probably number two, let's be honest, or up there. Um, but he's playing well in the absence of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Uh, he does fit the narrative of a guy who can contribute now, um, but he also fits our long-term solution potentially at the point guard uh, position um, with our Luke Kennard timeline. I believe they're the same age. So there's potential to develop those guys in the back back court. Um and, you know, I do have concerns with how Blake and Andre complement each other. I mean, they've had some games, they've had flashes where they play all right side by side, but for the most part, and... Their on-off numbers are really stellar together. Like, is that true? Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last season they were. They were they were great. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, so I guess, I, yeah, I guess there, there's, there's some more data that I'd have to look into to understand that a little bit better, but I think D'Lo and Blake would be a fantastic pairing um from a pick and roll standpoint and they're both shooters um the only question mark that i would have is how are we going to get rebounds without andre um just vacuuming up everything in the paint because i believe we are the 30th we're number 30 in team rebounding in the league now even with andre leading the league in rebounding. Last time we recorded, it was 27. So we dropped even further. So without him in there, we would just have to get somebody else to fill the center position um, in, in order to make sure you know, that we can at least hold it down and, and get some rebounds. So that would be my major question mark. But um, after looking into this a little bit further, I, would, I, I think I would pull the trigger on this. Yeah, I don't know if, what, or if uh, um, Golden State would pull the trigger on it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think this is definitely a question for um, that that points more towards the future than it points for the now. Because I do think that this team would be so starved at the center position that it'd be difficult for them to figure it out with what they currently have on the roster. Um, so, with all that cap space opening up next season, um, or I don't necessarily know how much would be opened after this trade scenario. But there would still be some money open for get a pretty reasonable center in at um, uh, that you could put in next year. But at the same time, um, yeah, I don't know, man. This is a really tough question because I do think D'Lo and Blake would look good next to each other. I do think that that could be a great tandem of a backcourt, D'Lo and, and Luke Kennard. Um, D'Lo being the, obviously the primary ball handler and, and you just running canard rampant off of screens like Steph Curry. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, you know what? Fuck it. Pull the trigger. Pull, put me in there. Let's do this. Let's roll this dice, baby. Come on. John Wall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm having like major John Wall flashbacks to last year like even thinking about these questions i was just thinking so much about the, the, the john wall thing he like tore his achilles like a week after we recorded that episode um 
Uh, but uh, yeah, man, roll the dice, pull the trigger. Let's get D'Lo in Detroit and at least get some some more excitement. But I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I, Andre Drummond's a really really good player, so I don't want to minimize him because he's been outstanding this year. Um, but I think I do just have those sort of big overall questions. I don't know how much it's going to work with with Blake and Andre and you know. And I don't think that I know, I know a lot of people. You know, you can point at on-off numbers. You can point at a lot of different, you know, areas where they've been really stellar together. But at the same time, you can still look at this team, look at the results, look at, um, you know, I don't, I don't, what you can forecast this team, their their best, um, what their best looks like. And, and it's really, really tough just with how this season has gone so far. Like, Luke Kennard's been playing really well, but Blake Griffin's played one game. So... Um, it's really hard to tell. I, I'd rather revisit this question in like a month and a half or two months. I think that's when I'd have a more realistic answer for you. Um, all right, Joe. Uh, C. Richardson, 252. At C. Richardson, 252. How does this defense get fixed? Yeah, really good question. Um, for me, it is the biggest red flag um, over the course of the first 12 games is the defense because um, we're completely out of sorts and uh, you know, I've just lost ourselves a little bit and have no defensive identity. Um, and, and there's a variety of contributing factors. I mean, number one, obviously injuries. Uh, our front office took a risk a couple of years ago, traded for Blake Griffin signed, D. Rose, who has injury concerns, um, Reggie Jackson, we know his injury history, so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, when you have those guys and Tim Frazier go down, it just completely throws everything into a mix, and you're, you're trying to build while you're moving. So that, that makes it really tough. Um, I, I also think that, like, Coach Casey's inability to settle in on specific rotations just makes it extremely difficult um, for players like should Don or Christian Wood get backup minutes well we don't know what the answer to that question is Don will get 16 minutes one game C. Wood will get a DNP and then the next game you know I guess specifically against the Heat Christian Wood put up 16 points and, and Don played okay you know he played all right um, but he was garbage um, against the, the Timberwolves. So I think there's still a question mark there, and that, that makes it tough. Um, should D. Rose or Tim Frazier start, assuming they're both healthy? Well, you know, we've went kind of back and forth on that. How many minutes a game is Fee going to play? We've had games where he's played 13, 14 minutes. We've had games where he has DNPs. We have games where he plays five minutes. So I think that creates overall issues with matchups, for one, and two, players not having played with each other and not having a strong understanding or intuition with how to communicate on uh, on the floor um whether you should should switch or if you know you should switch or when you should hedge or you know just how other players defensive play styles are because while you should always be communicating on defense a lot of that is is just an understanding of playing with guys for so long that, or not for so long, but um, just understanding the defensive play style, that you have an idea and intuition of, of, of how, you know, you should move and, and make really quick um, decisions. 
I, and then I think there's, you know, there are other specific issues, like um, not necessarily fast break points that we give up. We give like up these weird semi transition points where they have kind of a fast break. They slow it down. Our defense is super unorganized. Guys don't really know who they're guarding or they're out of position and trying to settle into their matchups. And, and then, um, you know, we end up out of place and, and give up easy points in like a semi-transition way. Um, and that's consistently happened over the last couple games. Uh, and then like, I still don't know if we switch or we hedge on pick and rolls or if that's a matchup thing or really what the deal is there. It seems like half the time the players don't necessarily know. We don't ever really go over a pick and roll. We always go under the pick and roll and it just, I, I guess it changes game in and game out and matchup to matchup, but it seems like we're getting consistently killed on pick and rolls, and there isn't a strong identity defensively of what we're supposed to do in certain situations. I think maybe there's an overcomplication of how we're supposed to be playing defense, and guys are probably just thinking too much on the floor. Like these are quick snap decisions that should be made automatically because it isn't a matter of a fraction of a second in order to stay in place or get out of place and then you lose your place and your offensive or I'm sorry you're out of place or out of balance as a defense and then other teams get easy points on you so um, I think those are all contributing factors also Andre has had some foul trouble in in certain games um, from a personnel standpoint like Christian Wood he's just not really strong enough um, under the hoop Thon just isn't good enough on defense I don't know he just he tries really hard, and, and he seems like a great <laughs> locker room guy, but, um, you know, there's some issues there. And then we've been getting beat back door, like Bruce Brown and Tony Snell specifically. Like, I think they're over-aggressive sometimes. They try to cut off passing lanes, but they've just been getting beat back door over the last couple of games uh, pretty consistently. So, moral of the story is, like, pretty much everything. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think it's a matter of getting on the same page and just figuring, figuring out the communication issues. Yeah, and um, one thing that you already mentioned um, when we were talking about Andre Drummond there for a minute, um, and what we talked about last week, is, is team rebounding has just been atrocious. You know, I think that they do need to commit one more person to the glass just to assist, especially when you see Christian Wood and and uh, Don Maker out there. If they're out there together, if they're even when they're out there together and they're crashing the glass together, it seems like half the time it's an offensive rebound for the opposing team. So. Um, so, I mean, I think that you, you need to have more of like almost like a, I don't know, like a Tom Izzo mindset with getting boards. Um, and then the turnovers, you know, right now Detroit's 27th in the league in turnover percentage. You got to clean that up. Lots of times it's just sloppy turnovers where it's an entry pass into the post. It's the first pass once you cross the half court line. It's... Um, Guys driving to the cup without a game plan, finding themselves midair, and it's a live ball turnover. So, you know, those that's that's too much. There's been way too many turnovers from this team, leading to easy buckets for um, whoever it is that they're playing. So, you know, there's just you said it, Joe. There's just so many areas where the defense needs to improve, and and I agree that a lot of it has to do with continuity, who's on the floor. Who am I playing, you know, side by side? You know, I remember watching the Miami Heat game and seeing they when they were in his own, like 
I think it was Kennard pushing Bruce Brown or Bruce Brown pushing like somebody was pushing somebody to get in the right position because they didn't know where they were supposed to be. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot that this team is doing, and it's not that they're not trying to address some of these situations. It's just like, god damn, this team is just banged up, and no one knows who the hell they're playing with. And there's also not even to mention it. There's a lot of new guys on this team. Period. So it's not just like. Yeah, these guys don't know who's playing, who they're playing alongside. It's like a lot of these guys don't know Dwayne Casey's system either yet. So, well, and, and also um, we've played the most games in the NBA, and we've had a ton of three back to backs already. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's been enough practice time to fully take a step back, rested, and make those adjustments that we need. Because a lot of these young guys, they need that extra practice time for it to reflect in the games. All right. Last question at Dr. Stink MD. <laughs> Why are they the way that they are? Assuming that's the Pistons. And I'm just going to be frank. I don't know. Um, but I've been watching it for a while now. And honestly, Joe, it's hard. Yeah, they just, they just are. <laughs> yeah, they, they just are. That's like an existential question. Yeah, that's like some. Go read some Jean-Paul Sartre or something and get deep on yourself. And, and you can answer that question. You know, I think it's within all of us to, to find that out. I think it reveals something about ourselves when we try to answer that question. So I agree. And uh, I, maybe, I also think that having Josh Smith on your payroll still, it makes, it makes you, uh, it really makes you question things. It haunts you, for real. Um, but Joe, I'm cashed out. That's all the questions. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. We'll definitely do some more of these as the season continues. Follow us on Twitter at inside the C Y L N D R new episodes on Detroit bad boys, rate and review on Apple podcasts or wherever the hell you listen to us. Um, new episodes on lineups.com slash podcast, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm out. Peace. Peace. Peace.